Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. Today, I'm happy to welcome Nicole Kronzer. Nicole is a high school teacher, but she also writes young adult fiction. Her first novel is called Unscripted. Nicole, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Kirk. I'm so happy to be here. So you were an actor and improviser, and now you're a high school teacher. In the sort of normal sphere of things, it kind of goes the other direction, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, I, I had always wanted to be a teacher my whole life. In fact, when I was four, what I really wanted to be was a traffic cop, because I thought you could tell people what to do, which <laughs> says a lot about me. Um, and then I was like, ooh, teachers call on people. So that, that also felt like power. And then once I realized that <laughs> it was more than that, I was like, oh, okay. And I sort of set that dream aside. But I really have always been drawn to, um, you know, helping people and, and talking about things and books and learning. Like I just, I really, that's totally my jam. So I thought that I was going to be a high school English teacher who directed the plays. And then in college, I went to the theater department first and was like, hello, here's my plan. And they said, and I auditioned and they said, oh no, honey, you're going to be a professional actor. And I was like, I am. And so <laughs> I got a BFA in act. And then I moved to the Twin Cities in Minnesota and was a professional actor and improviser here for, you know, about five years. Um, but then there were just things. I mean, there were a number of things about the life that I didn't love and I didn't know I didn't love until I did it for a while. Um, you know, I don't love staying up late and you have to stay up late as an actor. I don't love not knowing where my next job is coming from. And that is also a thing. But I was most of my income was coming from improv. And there was like a lot of gender stuff that wasn't awesome. And so it also it, all of it felt unsustainable. So, you know, I did some reflection was like, well, you know, you, you, you love kids and you love, you know, being with people and teaching. And I was teaching improv, you know, I was like doing the teaching thing. And so I went back to grad school and I got my teaching license and then I got hired here um, in 2006. And I've been here ever since, except the last two years when I was on sabbatical. And then I took a leave of absence because of COVID. Teaching is a kind of performance though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Early on, um, I would come home and my husband was like, you're so tired. And he was also an actor, which is how we met. And I said, look, it's like performing a six hour play. <laughs> every day and he was like oh maybe I'm the guy that makes dinner every night then and I was like let's stay married <laughs> <laughs> so your first novel is called unscripted it is and I'm quoting from your website a funny and timely debut yeah about the toxic masculinity at a famous improv comedy camp now, I will admit, I don't read young adult fiction. What I find interesting, and we were talking about this before the show, is that when I was a teenager, the books that they wanted us to read, the young adult books, were like about bunnies or sailors, like the, you know, Horatio Hornblower. And I kind of veered toward the underground comics that they sold outside the high school. But the kind of themes that you're dealing with here, the toxic masculinity, in the first few pages, the brother of the main character, Zelda, has a gay boyfriend. These are things that would never have happened back in the day. They would have been not necessarily banned, but you wouldn't have seen books like this for teenagers. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I started reading a lot of YA when I got this high school job, right, back in 2006. And so, you know, I mean, what are we, 15 years now? And I would say that books 
really changed, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, like I really started seeing um, the normalization of LGBTQ characters um, more and more and more. And, you know, I mean, we still have a long way to go in terms of representation, but like YA has really taken up this mantle of uh, our, our books should reflect who kids are. And so, you know, as I don't know, just as the world has changed and as more and more people in gatekeeper roles realize how limited the perspective was that we were giving young adult readers, you know, we're getting, you know, it's, it's better and better. Again, it's, there's still a long way to go, but um, you know, I think that YA is pushing the envelope for a lot of literary genres. And so it's really, it's both, it's really exciting to be a part of that. But do you have the risk that the school might ban your books or remove them from the library? How does that work? Are, are you like considered to be the devil lady with these books? <laughs> um, well, I'm definitely not well read enough to be on anybody's radar <laughs> who would, you know, do that. But I did experience um, our district parents in our district trying to ban Eleanor and Park. Uh, you know, it was written by Rainbow Roll. Was that 2012? I think right around there. And we were going to bring Rainbow Roll into our district and had a bunch of kids that were going to read her book. And um, like, it was, it was awful, you know, just the, like the lash, the flash, what is that word? The pushback um, was just awful to be a part of. Um, The arguments that, that were being made against that book were totally unfounded and incredibly unfair. And, um, you know, I always say like, as a parent, you get to decide what your kid reads and doesn't read, but I do not think you get to decide what everybody else's kid reads. So as I was writing my book, um, you know, I, those parents were in my head. And, and one of the things that I see, and I see teachers say this too, the, the, the word that keeps books out of kids' hands is the F word. And you'll see people like count it up and be like, this book has the F word 115 times. Like, <laughs> you're, you know, something terrible is going to happen to your child. And what I want to say is like, they are hearing that word in the hallway. You know? They're like, hearing that word at home, probably. Oh, probably. And I really, I, on the one hand, I admire how much power that they think a book has. Yeah. Hooray, right? But I, I feel like it's really misguided. Um, but anyway, I the F word is not in unscripted. And I did that on purpose because I know that that book, that, that word keeps books out of kids' hands. And I'm not saying every YA author should do that. Um, I really admire people, you know, who are like, this is how kids talk and this is what's in my book. And that's great. But because of the specific thing that I the specific reason that I wanted this book to be in kids' hands was, you know, for the discussion around uh, emotional abuse and all the stuff around gender. And and also I have a lot of LGBTQ characters who are just, you know, that's not the issue of the book. It's just that they are in the book. I wanted I wanted the book to find those kids and, and the F word not to keep it from getting there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the story takes place, let's see, Zelda has her life planned out. She's going to go to improv camp, then Second City, and finally Saturday Night Live. And isn't that a wonderful idea? That kind of sounds familiar. I'm thinking that that maxim, write what you know, is coming into play here. Now, interestingly, in a recent episode, we spoke with someone who works at a very large software company. And in his novel, there's a lot of software and tech stuff in it. And I was saying to him, well, you wrote what you know there, but there's also a serial killer. Did you know about that? (laughs) 
and I remember you asking that question. I laughed out loud at the gym, actually. <laughs> and and the idea of writing what you know is it's only a starting point, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I never actually had aspirations to be on Saturday Night Live, but I, because I love live theater. And so I loved improv. I, I continue to love improv. Um, and so the way that this book came about is was kind of two things. I actually have a whole other book that I wrote that I tried to get an agent with that didn't get me an agent. Um, but what it did get me was a bunch of requests. And so then I got advice from my friend and mentor, Nina LaCour, who's a wonderful YA author. And she said to me, as soon as you start querying that first book, start writing your next book. And I was like, are you serious? And she was like, just trust me. And she was so right, because then by the time I was getting these very nice passes, like, love your voice, nothing happens for 40 pages. Um, you know, I, I felt okay about it because I, I was already doing it again. And I learned so much from writing that first book. And so as I was percolating, thinking about what my, you know, this next book was going to be about as I was sending out the first one, um, I kind of actually woke up kind of in the middle of the night. And uh, because I had had these students coming to me for a while, these girls who kept telling me about their terrible boyfriends, and they would say things like, well, you know, he just doesn't let me hang out with all my old friends anymore, but that's okay, right? Because we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Or, like, he yells and yells, but then he says he's sorry and that it'll never happen again. But it keeps happening. But that's just who he is, right? And I was like, you are in an emotionally abusive relationship. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm in advanced English. You know, there was this like <laughs> wacky preconceived notions about who quote unquote falls for abuse and who doesn't. And oh my gosh, you know? Um, and so that was in my head, right. And in my heart were these students. And then also I, it was, I, I just don't remember what exactly was happening, but I was doing a lot of reflection on theater and why I had left. And, you know, I was often the only girl in the room, you know, it'd be like me and five other dudes. And the things that people would say to me in shows were just gross. And, um, you know, I got I, the compliment I'd get more than anything was like, you're really funny for a girl. And so all of this, I'm kind of... Woke. I find that women are often funnier than men when it comes to comedy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I think we're moving more and more. We're moving away from that. But that is still, like, fundamentally a thing that a lot of people, women too, believe that men are just inherently funnier. So, um, yeah, I woke up kind of with this, uh, this idea about this girl who had Saturday Night Live dreams and then some dude... Um, you know, this like emotionally abusive dude that was standing in her way. And so that's that's how the nexus of the book came together for me. That same sort of thing could apply to the corporate world because you get similar it's, – it's a template, isn't it? That, that sort of one person who tries to block people they don't like. But in your case, what's interesting is that you're seeing – not your characters, but the type of people you're writing about and writing for every day. And that's yeah. really interesting. Do, do your students read your book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was on sabbatical the year the book came out. And then um, this last year, you know, I, I took the leave of absence. And so this is the first time I'm actually in the classroom and I'm like watching my students read my book and it is awesome. <laughs> Wait, do you actually teach your own book in the classroom? No, you can't do that. No, no, no. That feels very <laughs> college professory, but no, no, no. <laughs> 
But it's so fun. We have this incredible librarian. Shout out to Allison Hackenmiller, this incredible librarian who is really passionate about putting books in kids' hands. So when my book came out, she bought 20 copies. And I just, I see it all over the school and it is awesome. It's just so great. And then, you know, like former students went bananas when my book came out. It was really, really fun. So how did you get your contract? So you're published by Amulet, which is an imprint from Abrams book, which I remember as Harry Abrams, the really expensive art book publisher. Yes, that's how they got their start. And then uh, Amulet is their YA imprint or their their children's book imprint. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it's if their middle grade stuff, too. Um, but yeah, it, they're the folks who do Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That's usually the series. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. So, yeah, those that's 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 who is my publisher. And I really, really, really feel taken care of there. So how did it work? What was the step to get accepted with a publisher like that? Yeah. Okay. So first I uh, queried agents. And, um, and so, like I said, I wrote that other book and I queried a bunch of agents and I got some really lovely responses back from, you know, half a dozen of the people that I queried. And so then even though they all passed, I wrote them back and said, Hey, I've got this other book. Would you like to read it when I'm done? And they were like, yes, yes, please. So, um, I submitted it in, let's see, it was the end of January, 2018. And then one, my, my dream agent, um, who had passed on my first book, but then was like very excited when I said I had another project, she, uh, wrote back to me six days after I sent her unscripted, um, offering to be my agent and represent me. And that happened while I was in the middle of a class too. <laughs> so all of my publishing, like you're all not of supposed is- to look at your text messages while you're in class now. <laughs> no, that was an email, Kirk. I got an email, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, oh, that was such, that was such an incredible day. And all, there were all these students, right? And I was like, oh my God, it happened. And they cheered. And then I was like, you're cool, right? Like I got to go tell people. So I abandoned the classroom <laughs> and like ran around the school and told my friends. But anyway, so then what my agent did and she compiled this list of editors of people in the business who she thought would like my book. And then the funny part, right, is she sends it to me and says, what do you think of this list? I know nothing about publishing. I'm like, it is a great list, Sarah. It looks like a super great list. So then she sent my book off to a bunch of editors. And then Maggie Lerman at Abrams um, loved it. And she said that she felt like she was destined to edit this book. And so, oh my gosh, I just, so Maggie, my editor at Abrams has an improv background and a theater background. And so she just absolutely understood everything I was trying to do with Unscripted and made it 300 times better. How long? So you said early 2018, when was the book published? April of 2020. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how long the publishing process is, not only getting accepted, but then getting scheduled in, you know, a long term schedule. Then they take a year, even though, you know, you could do the layout and proofread it in a month, but they usually take a year before they do that. So you're just sitting there probably waiting all anxious about what's going to happen when and all right. Well, and that's why you just have to move on to your next project. So, you know, uh, Unscripted came out, like I said, April of 2020. And then um, my agent, I guess we sold my next book to Maggie Lerman's, uh, Maggie Lerman at Abrams that summer, summer of 2020. And I just started working on edits in August of 2021. And that book will come out in the fall of 2022. And in the meantime, I have four other projects that I did. So, oh, okay. Well, you're yeah. not too lazy then. No, no, no. You just have to keep... Well, plus I knew like I had this time off from school. And so I was like, this is it, Kronzer. You, you got to knock it out. And so I did a lot of creation in those two years. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you use Scrivener. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. Okay, Nicole, I'd like to know how you use Scrivener because I think you know quite a bit about Scrivener. In addition to being a Scrivener user, you also teach people how to use Scrivener. I do, yes. Um, I know a lot about Scrivener. And I one of the things that your guests as you know, in the podcast have said is like, I'm sure I'm not using all of the bells and whistles that it has to offer. And I always tell my students, that's okay. <laughs> you know, that you do not have to use everything that Scrivener has. There's lots of things that exist for your particular brain to be able to pull the things that work for you. And I find that with each additional project, like I layer on another skill. And also it depends on the project, that some projects may be structured differently, have more or less research, et cetera. It's absolutely, yeah. So my process actually starts in a notebook. Um, So I don't start in Scrivener. I like to handwrite my first versions and I do character sketches and all of that. It's all on paper. Um, because I don't get distracted by the internet. (laughs) And then just also because no one can read my handwriting but me. So it really does fool me into thinking this is just for me and lets me complete an entire project. So once I have a version, then I start revising as I type into Scrivener. And so I set up my chapters and my scenes that way. Um, But there's a number of tools that I use to help me sort of keep track of where I'm at as I go through the process. So one of the things that I love is I have changed the statuses because, you know, it like it defaults as status. And so I changed the name of statuses to days of the week. And then instead of it being like to do, you know, like first version or whatever, because I've never found that particularly helpful. I change it to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so it has really helped me with my timeline because then I'm like, oh, this scene takes place on Tuesday and I don't end up. You know, like famously, John Green does not try to keep track of his timeline and he just um, every day of the week is Friday and then he just leaves it, you know, for copy editors. This is the story I've heard. I'm sorry, John Green, if you're listening and this is wrong, but this is the story I've heard that he just like then copy editors help him work it out. (laughs) But for your novel, it's set in a short duration, right? How long is the whole thing last? Yeah, it's two weeks. And my critique, my critique partner always teases me that like I'm only capable of writing a book that takes place over two weeks because that's that's pretty much my jam. But you could use statuses to do season or month or whatever. But I've really found that useful um, to, yeah, to have the statuses help me with days of the week. And then I really like using labels for um, the different who is seeing it. Like, so my critique partner will be like, it's gone out to Christy, waiting on Christy. 
you know, needs to be revised from Christy. Like, it's just like gives me some information. And then I also use colors and then I make that happen in the binder. So that way I can visually see, oh, this is a chartreuse. That means Christy has it right now. So those two things visually, the days of the week with the statuses and then the labels have been really, really useful. Is chartreuse one of the official colors in Scrivener? I don't think it is. <laughs> I, I told, it's not one of the, oh, that's the other thing. I've, oh, revision mode. This is something that none of your guests have talked about as far as I remember. I love revision mode. And just recently in the most in the most recent Windows update, now those Mac users or PC users finally got revision mode. Um, for so long, it was something I had to apologize to my, my PC users about. But um, so, you know, what revision mode lets you do is like, OK, I've typed the whole thing up and it's just black. And then now I've got feedback. I'm going back through it. And so then I go up to revision mode and then I select the first color and then everything I change is that color. And so then I can see what's different. Um, I can see, and it's really useful to me much later in the process to be like, look, Nicole, none of your first three chapters were even there in the first version. You know, like it's all blue and green and red. And so I, I love seeing the progress. Um, and then it's really helpful to my critique partner too, because then she can see, oh, here's the second version. Oh, I see all the changes are in red. What's interesting about this podcast is no two guests that I've had use Scrivener in the same way. And as you said, there are so many features, you don't need to use them all. But I find it interesting how people are totally focusing on different things. We talked to someone who only used the research. We talked to someone who never uses the research. We talked to someone who loves the snapshots. And it's interesting how people discover the thing that they need to make Scrivener work for them. You know what's really great is collections. I love collections and how, you know, you've got arbitrary collections and then you've got your saved searches. And so the arbitrary collections where, you know, you're like, okay, these are all the chapters that I really need to do. And then you can just click whatever chapters you want and stick it in that arbitrary collection. But the saved searches where, you know, let's say that I've got um, a specific location and, and I want to keep track of every time that it comes up in the book. So then I can do a revision where I just go and look at that location. Then even if I take it out of one place and I add it into another, Scrivener is constantly running that search in the background. And so it's always live. And just collections is one of those things that I teach in my Scrivener 102 class. And it's the first thing that I do. And then the Scrivener 102 people are like, oh my gosh, right here, this was worth the price of admission collections. And it is kind of hidden. So it's something that you have to look for. But boy, is it so powerful and so useful. So can you tell me about your classes a bit? Yeah. So um, I teach Scrivener at the Loft in Minneapolis. And the Loft is like this wonderful place for writers with all these wonderful writing classes. And because of COVID, a lot of those classes have, I mean, all the classes during COVID have been taught online. And so suddenly my Scrivener classes have gone from just being people in the Twin Cities Metro to like all over the country. And so it's a three hour sort of like, I call it Scrivener 101. And it's just like three hours. And so I go through, you know, basic uses of the binder and basic uses of the editor and then basic uses of the inspector. Um, and then they get a chance to practice all of those things as we go. And then Scrivener 102 is like deeper things, right? Going into more into the inspector and using collections, different revision, you know, revision modes, some of the other deeper modes. So you talked about how you start by writing in a notebook longhand. I find that interesting because that's like listening to vinyl records or something. <laughs> what is your writing routine? Because you've got a teaching job. So when do you write in the morning, in the evening? How do you fit this in? 
That's a good question, Kirk. Um, so back before I had the sabbatical and then the year, I would write on the weekend and in the summertime, mostly on breaks. Um, but now I'm on deadline. <laughs> so I've been writing after school and on the weekends. And it is this, you know, this is sort of my first experience of not just creating on my own time, right? That like, I, uh, this book is due when it's due and it's, I got to hand it in. And so it, that it is becoming much more difficult to balance both of those things. Um, and so one of two things is going to either happen. I mean, they're going to have to, you know, go to part-time and teach, or I'm going to write fewer books. Like, but it can't, I can't it, what I'm currently doing is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. The, the switch from, Day job as something not a writer to day job as a writer is very difficult to navigate. I think most people get to the point where they're really overloaded if their career is working before they make the shift, and that's what prompts them to do it. One thing else I noticed on your website is that you narrated the audiobook. I did! And I think that's just wonderful because you have experience as an actor. And knowing some audiobook narrators and what it's like to narrate an audiobook, how was that reading your own words like that? Oh, Kirk, it was um, it was. It was such an incredible experience. So I auditioned, you know, like I didn't just get to do it. Like I had to audition with the audiobook company. And luckily they were like, yes, we, we approve. You, you can do this thing. And so um, I was actually in New York visiting my agency when we got the email. So it was so fun to be there when they were like, you got the gig. And so then I was like, oh, now what do we do? And, um, and so the person, uh, so I'm Pippin Properties is my agency and, and Holly McGee is the person who is the president of Pippin. And she said, oh, my sister, Allison McGee, wonderful, wonderful writer, um, lives in Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> she said, she's also narrated her own audiobooks. Why don't you be in touch with Allison and she'll, you know, give you some advice. So I got in touch with Allison. She told me where we should record it and which engineer that I should request. And then I wrote an email to Julia Whalen, who is my all time favorite audiobook narrator narrator ever. And Julia and I don't know each other, but she wrote me back this incredible email full of advice. And so I like, I went into the process having highlighted per Julia's suggestion, um, having highlighted each character and in a different color. So like you knew what they were saying. And then I practiced all the voices and there were 33 voices, distinct voices in my novel. And some of them are performing. So sometimes it's a voice doing a voice. And so I didn't really think about that as I was writing the book. But I have to say, like, now as I'm writing, I'm like, hmm, this person is attempting to do a Russian accent. Can I do a Russian accent? Maybe I will make it a British accent. <laughs> you, you didn't make it easy for yourself, did you? <laughs> no. And so many boys. Good Lord. So many boys. So yeah, it was a challenging experience, but so wonderful. Um, it recorded at Audio Ruckus in downtown Minneapolis with Jim Schnobrek, and he was just a dream to work with. It was so interesting because I don't know what I, how I thought it was going to be, but um, we did something called a punch recording. So you, you know, you're like, you're reading along. And then if you make a mistake, then, you know, Jim would pop me back to the last clean line that we had and I would hear it in my ear and then I would keep going. And then he sent this like fairly clean recording then to the audiobook company. And then they edited, you know, like cleaned up my pauses and things. I'll tell you every once in a while, I'm recording a podcast and I've selected the wrong microphone. So I have to go back and re-record everything I said, which if I'm interviewing someone, they generally talk a lot more. And you need to hear the musicality of your voice for the next part to get it right so it doesn't sound like you're going all over the place when you do it. 
Yeah, it was really interesting. He, um, so it, it took, it, let's see, we had three days blocked off, but it only took two days because I have a very strong voice, you know, from all of this teaching. Oh, I can tell. I then, can tell. And then, thank you. <laughs> and then theater, right? Like I've, I've, I've been well-trained. And so normally he said people record for no more than four hours and we recorded for six hours, both days. And then on the second day, he played like something from the beginning, middle and end all next to each other to make sure it didn't sound like I was tired by the end of the day. And he was like, wow, this is really consistent. It sounds great. Okay, let's keep going. So there were really interesting things like that, that I didn't consider. Um, so, it, so that way it sounds like you are a person who stood and read this book all in one take and, uh, and yeah, and that your voice doesn't sound tired or yeah, or just the musicality. Exactly. Right. Well, audiobook listeners know it's not in one take, but you do want to make it sound that way. So there's nothing jarring. It's true with some audiobooks, you get to a new chapter and you hear something slightly different. Maybe someone's got a cold or something like that, and you can hear the difference. Okay, we're coming to the end. Do you have any tips for young adult authors who want to have the success that you seem to be on the cusp of having? Oh, that's very nice, Kirk. Um, I mean, tell the story of your heart. I think that that's, that's the best piece of advice that someone gave me, um, that, you know, you're looking out at the, at the market and you're seeing what's out there and, and don't, don't do that. Just tell the story that you need to tell and that you're positioned to tell. Um, and, and then like, that's going to be the story that people are interested in hearing, right? Like if, if you're interested in telling it and I, I, we always say this about teaching too, you know, I say to students like this stuff by itself may not be interesting to you, but like, I love it. And so I know you're going to love it too. <laughs> How about a book recommendation for our listeners? What have you been reading that's really interesting? I love everything. Like I said, I was saying Nina LaCourie earlier, and I love everything that she writes. Um, she actually has an adult novel coming out in February called Yerba Buena that is breathtaking and wonderful. So if you love her YA, you will love her adult novel. Um, I really love Brandy Colbert. I've become a recent fan of Brandy's, and she had two books that came out this last year. One is a middle grade called The Only Black Girls in Town, which was so I loved it so much. And then her uh, YA novel is called The Voting Booth. And it's about these two kids. It takes place in one day. And it's about these two kids who are voting for the first time. Um, also totally fabulous. So um, yeah, I guess I'll go with that. I'll go with Nina LaCour and Brandy Colbert. Okay, Nicole Kronzer, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Kirk. It was my absolute pleasure. If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener. <laughs>